right. Welcome to episode number 14. Today we are here with the great Joe Sarno. Joe Sarno has a pretty good history at advanced training. He is currently ranked number, I believe, six all time on the PowerPoint list. He has won the Tough Man in 2018 and 2019, and he was the challenge winner in 2018. So welcome to the podcast, Mr. Sarno. Thank you for having me on, Coach. Uh, I've been waiting for a pretty long time. Yes, and, and you had said to me early, as soon as this thing started, you said you want to be on the podcast immediately after you win the, the Tough Man this year, and that happened. So uh, you wrote it down, we made history, and here we are. Just like everything else in life, you got to write down a goal. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about, let's start right off where, where we ended, the 2019 Tough Man. You are the first person to get under a minute. You're the first person ever to do it. Your previous best was a minute and 13 seconds. When you finish in under a minute, there's only one guy left to go after you, Trunzo. Are you thinking, I got this thing in the bag, or are you thinking he could beat this time too? So I wasn't necessarily thinking I had this thing in the bag, but I knew what I put out there was going to be hard to beat. Just because, for me, what I thought, at least, I thought I had a, an almost perfect run. I thought there was really no hiccups. There's nothing, no point where I tripped, no point where anything really slowed me up. Then, obviously, looking back at the tape, I realized now I could – probably crush that in 50 52 seconds if i really really do everything the way i should but no absolutely not i knew tronzo was the, i mean listen he beat me in the challenge points this year so that just goes enough to say and plus i know him i know his work ethic and i know that he wasn't gonna let a time before him completely destroy the way he was looking at the competition whether as if that was somebody else in the competition they might have looked at it and they might have been like you know what, I guess I'm done, you know, but not Trunzo. Trunzo's not, like, not that type of guy. So you're saying that your good run, some guys might crumble, but him, he said, I got to step it up. Absolutely. He rose to the occasion without that. So go, so let me, let's take a one more step back here. Before you go, there's, there's three other guys that have already broken the all-time record by Ryan Smith and one that you were pretty close to of a minute and 13 seconds. So right before you're about to go, are you thinking – I'm going to crush this thing or, oh, God, I'm in trouble. These guys have already beat this record. Nah, because my goal the entire year wasn't – it wasn't to – it wasn't to beat Ryan's, Ryan's, uh, Ryan's record. It wasn't that at all. It was – my goal since the end of last year was I want to beat this thing in one – under one minute. I, was like, I want to win it in under a minute. I don't think that's – I think that's a bar that's set that nobody else is going to touch, which obviously Joe Tronzo came out and did an incredible job. And almost beat me during it. But I, I set that bar for myself last year. Again, another thing I wrote down. I actually sent it to Trunzo, and Trunzo sent it back to me in a screenshot after. Then I said, I was like, I want to do this in under a minute. And if I don't do that, that's a failure to me. So for people that don't know what's going on, uh, this tough man, this style of tough man has been going on, I believe, since 2016. And no one has gotten under a minute. It, the best time, and maybe I'm wrong. I think it's 2015. The best time was a minute and 13 seconds. And Which then I would have beat realistically last year if I don't lose that slider. Yes, and, and there's a lot of variables, and, I'm, there's, <laughs> and there's always the the woulda, coulda, shoulda. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a matter of putting together, like you said, that perfect run. And it's all about having a perfect run. And I'm thinking about the way Smith had executed his in the past. He never really had. He was very smooth. You know, he wasn't like flying through every single leg of the event, 
but he didn't have a lot of issues with his transitions. He wasn't really losing sliders. He just was really smooth in it. This year, now we have five people not only beat it, but crush it. There's a, there's a lot of variables to it, but I, I, I got to say, for me, it was, I was like, wow, did I put the right weight on, the, on these bars? Did, did something happen? What the heck is going on here? And then just looking at how you guys did it, it, it was like a whole new level of the execution of the Tough Man event. And I, a lot of it, I think, stems from the competition that you put against each other during the challenge this year. This is probably the most heavy competition, the most fierce competition that I've seen in challenges, even between the week, all the trash talking. Uh, is there anything else that you're attributing to this this great run by the I'd say the entire crew? Um, so for the entire crew, I mean that's that's more of a testament to you than it is to anybody else, to be honest with you, coach. Just because of that means that whatever you're doing, that we're doing that once a week workout is working. And especially with a guy like Cortesia, a guy like Tommy Trey that that really haven't been with us all that much this year, for them to come out and they perform the way they did is is incredible because I mean, Cortese cut down a substantial amount of time. Tommy's first run was great for him as long as as soon as he gets sliders down pat, it'll be a different ball game for him. Same thing with with uh, John Goldman, Bobby Alvarino first year doing the format. You know, it's 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 different, but maybe it does mean you got to step it up a little bit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, that was kind of like I called you on the way home. Like, why do you think <laughs> this happened? Because I, I respect you as a, both an athlete. You're also mm-hmm. a coach. You do this stuff. So it was, what do you think happened? Now, part of it, look, the field conditions were perfect. Nice. It was wet, but not too wet. It mm-hmm. wasn't hot. So that definitely plays a part. We, we've been there where, you know, you have just a plate on the prowler and you can't move it five feet. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But the technique part was definitely better. And, and you hit on something else. You have two guys in that group in their first time in this format, Alberino and Goldman. If they clean it up, this thing could get nasty next year. It could get legitimately nasty with a bunch of dudes who now cleaned up technique. Well, it's it's to the point where it's essentially how they're the, – the way I see it is that they are at where I was a couple years back where I wasn't necessarily getting to every workout. I wasn't – you know, I wasn't all in. I was doing my own thing because this year, I mean, they missed a bunch of workouts. So if they don't miss those workouts, then their transitions are easier. And like you said – the competition's more about transitions, getting to station A to station B smoothly than it is really doing the exercise because we're all strong, we're all athletic, we're all fast. You know, it's not it's not a matter of that. It's all about the little things. And, and I, I believe I made that quote on the other podcast that a guy like Alberino, even Goldman, look like guys who are in really good shape without having the technique to master the transitions on the movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you hit on something. I, I want to segue into that. Uh, this year was probably your, your most consistent year in terms of attendance. In fact, I think there were very few, if any, times where you didn't attend where you were supposed to attend or you didn't say like, hey, I got work or something else going on. In the past, you used to have issues being a guy who would show up when he was supposed to show up. What, what changed? What made it happen? I, to be honest with you, I think it's just uh, I'm an adult now. You know, I'm, not a, I'm not a kid. I'm not a 19, 20-year-old kid. That's not doesn't like getting up early or anything like that. Now I kind of almost value that stuff. So I, I mean, during throughout the summer, I'm a teacher, so I'm off throughout the summer. I'm still up. My body wakes me up at seven thirty, eight o'clock, the latest. You know, and I value that because I get up, I do what I have to do. I go to the gym, take care of myself. I walk my dog, whatever I got to do. So, I think the only thing that's taken up for me is that my my mindset of it has changed. You know, I, I'm not I'm not 
20 years old where I'm sleeping into 12 o'clock and just trying to, you know, like lull the day away. Now I want to get the most out of the day I possibly can. So let's, let's go through a couple of these old school scenarios. One was, it was, Hey, if you miss, uh, if you miss again, you're out. And the only way I'll let you back in is to do your weight back squats. So not like a body weight back squat, but put your weight on a barbell. And it was like something crazy, like 50 reps in two minutes and 30 seconds or you're out for the rest of your life. You're banned from advanced training. So that did happen to you, right? Uh, can, can you talk us through that whole scenario and if you actually passed that squat test? Yeah, what do you want me to say? That sucked. That was miserable. That <laughs> <laughs> was miserable. So at that point, I was about – I was going into – I think it was like my junior college, something like that. Somebody I was doing my junior season. I missed a bunch of workouts, you know, typical Joe Sarno circa 2015 stuff. Uh, missed a bunch of workouts, and I had to do a 225 back squat for I think it was I think it was a lot more than 50 coaches. I think the number I hit was about like 50, 60, and it was you need to do I think it was 100 reps. In under two minutes, there was something around those lines, and obviously I did not hit that. And I listen, I was going as hard as I possibly could. At that point in my life, I wasn't exactly great at the back squat too, so that was probably my worst exercise. And um, I, the intent of that was to make guys like almost have to throw yourself out of the program, like you have to fight for your life. And there were a couple of guys that were like, "I'm not even trying," so they just left. Mm-hmm. You did try, you didn't succeed. Uh, just because of the value I had on you as a, as a player, as a captain of the team that I was a, a defensive coordinator of. It was like, all right, we're going to give this thing another shot. But now let's go to, it might have been the same year or a year before that, where you actually didn't even get into the tough man because you overslept. You showed mm-hmm. up as we were cleaning up. And that was a year that I thought that you were going to be a really, I, I thought you were going to beat Smith that year, just based on the challenges, based on the workouts. Uh, so you, you've had this history of missing. Now you don't. Now you've changed it, and now you've become – you've turned yourself into it. And Joe Trunzo alluded to it during one of our his, – during his podcast that you might be the biggest success story in advanced training history because there were years where you didn't win challenges. There was years where you didn't win anything. You, you, had this, you, know, you hadn't won a tough man until 2018. Right now, you're the guy to beat. So you, you've been on both sides of this fence. What, what would you tell – you're a coach now. What would you tell – a kid, what would you tell yourself when you're 20 to make a difference? How do you get them to realize how important this stuff is? So one thing I would say is literally exactly what happened to me. I'd say, listen, in five, it, it sounds corny, but in five years from now, what exactly do you think, what do you think that happens to you right now is going to benefit you or is it going to hurt you in five years from now? Are you going to look back and you're going to say, hey, listen, I I messed up, man. You know, I, I missed that workout. And maybe that workout is the difference between my team stopping Erasmus Hall, stopping Curtis on the three-yard line, on the one-yard line, on the inch-yard line. Is that is that what's going to do it? Because that's the way I basically live my life now. I live my life now at the point of if I don't get to the gym for my fourth workout of the week, if I don't hit that fourth day of my program, I know Joe Tronzo is, you know, I know Pete Amorosi is. And even if they're not, in my head, they're, they are, and they did. So how am I going to let myself be worse than the next person? So the only thing I'll say to, I, I say to the kids I coach is never let somebody be better than you. 
because that doesn't matter if anything with skill. And I don't mean that as in don't let somebody be faster than you, don't let somebody be stronger than you, because obviously that's stuff that's uh, sometimes out of your control. But there's literally no excuse in the world for you to not work harder than the man next to you, for, not to, for you to not be able to look to the guy across from you on the line of scrimmage, wherever it may be, and say, I know what I did this summer. Whatever you did doesn't even come close. And, and do you think, because as you're saying it, I'm like, yep, yep, I get it. I'm like sitting on the edge of my seat because that, that goes through my mind too. Like, I can't miss. I can't. People say to me, why do you still work out? I'm like, I can't let these young guys be better than me. I can't. I can't let them think that I'm getting weak or getting And you old. know what? It's, it's funny because the one thing, the one time, one of the, like maybe the two times I missed this year, I literally texted you. I said, can I borrow the sliders because I want to go work this on my own. Right, you right. And, and you, a couple the, of years ago, I don't know if I would have did that. What is great about our crew is that they've gotten it to the point now, and I think a lot of this is led by our mastermind, Joe Trunzo, of like this constant trash talking. So if you miss, it's like, good. You, know, you missed, good. Now I'm getting better. Yeah. Enjoy that night out because I'm waking up early. Right there. <laughs> yeah, good. So do you think – even knowing what you know and experience what you experience, being the leader that you are, how much do you think this sinks into a high school kid's head? You know, everything – I have this I have this theory where it's – you could say 100% of the things, and you're lucky if 10% sink. So I'm going to throw it out as many times as I possibly can, and whatever I'm going to repeat is what they're going to know. So my goal is – listen, as a teacher, as a coach, whatever it is, I want – you to learn at least one thing from me. And if you could take one thing away from me, that's the thing I want you to take away. You know, so how much does it really sink in? For every guy, it might not, you know, but those are guys they're going to wish they did in the long time. But right now, I know that I know certain kids in my program that did buy into that when I told them that last year before the summer started, before the offseason started. I know kids that I coach because now this is my, my third year coaching at Tottenville High School. And this is actually the same group that I started with because I started up coaching at JV and now this is actually the same group. They are now seniors. So I know kids that after the JV year, when we lost the championship JV for the first time in, I don't even know how long at that point, when we lost that year, I told them, I said, you can either go home, you can cry about this, or you can go out and you can work hard and you can use it as fuel. And it sounds corny, but that's the truth because if you don't use it as fuel, then what is it? Then it's just baggage. And we don't right. want baggage. Don't want anything holding you back. It reminds me of a good saying that I heard called, uh, you win or you learn. So you got to learn. You got to take something from every one of these losses. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you one more question about this, this journey. Actually, two more questions. First off, do your, the kids you coach at Tottenville, do they know that you do this stuff? Uh, so, yeah, but not, not necessarily all of them. So I, I kind of – I keep my stuff to myself with them, but I do tell I tell the seniors because I actually I invited a couple of them out. Not like any of them came because it's five o'clock in the morning and they are obviously seventeen year old kids that don't value that. But they will eventually, hopefully. Um, what I do tell them is that yes, I obviously I, I still train. I mean, they see me, so I I kind of I kind of look the part, I guess. You know, because I'm still, I'm still like a pretty big guy. I'm still like six two, two twenty ish. So I, I do, I look like I work out, and they ask me like, "Oh, what do you do?" Blah blah blah, all this stuff. Because some of them are very interesting, and I'll tell them. I say, "Listen, I work out. 
on my own, and then I work out once a week in the morning. I do a bunch of field stuff, and that's it. And then after the season's done, I'll, t- I'll contact the seniors, kind of similar to what you did with me. I'll contact the seniors, and I'll say, listen, if you want to get after it and you want to start working with us, you're more than welcome. And, and I'm thinking, at least from your standpoint, there's a lot of credibility to be had with a high school kid for a guy that's won a tough man competition two years in a row. Uh, I don't know if I'd do it, but it'd be pretty cool if you walked to practice one day with two belts hung over, maybe three belts, because <laughs> you got the challenge championship too. Because yeah, right. you could say to these kids, like, I'm not just yelling at you to work harder. I'm doing it myself. Like, I'm working harder than you. I'm not asking you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing. So the workouts that I did, I actually sent you a video of it yesterday. It was in the weight room. I literally, the workouts that I do are derived from the programs. I mean, the workouts that I do with them at Big Apple Games that are at our voluntary, well, not really supposed to be voluntary, but at our workouts is the workouts that I do myself. You know, like I'm doing overhead reverse lunge. I'm doing those pause squats. Uh, you know, I'm doing all that stuff. And it's funny because some kids actually work out at the Y, which is where I work out, and they'll see me doing it. They'll see me doing the warm up. You know, where I'm doing the lunges, I'm doing the, the air squats and stuff like that. And now they're doing the same exact thing. So they kind of know exactly what's going on. I, I love you. So for the, obviously no one knows this. Sarno had sent me a video yesterday of what he was doing with his team at Tottenville. And it was a clip of dumbbell, one arm, reverse overhead lunges. And it was Bulgarian elevated split squats. And did you have a pause at the bottom of that? Uh, no, we did not have a pause, but I added something a little different too. So I added a little bit based off my own research because I, I, I follow a bunch of guys on Instagram. I'll read a bunch of articles. And I actually – I bought into the um, to the front-loaded good morning. So while they're up there in the Bulgarian split squat with that leg up, once they finish their eight reps, they'll go down, and they're actually going to do good mornings from that position. So with a big chest, shoulders pinched back, nice flat back, They'll lean over and then shoot up just with that same exact weight. Wow. And that was one leg elevated behind them or yep. are they – it is. Yeah, one leg elevated behind them. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, that, that video brought a couple of tears to my eyes last night. It was a, <laughs> a beautiful thing to see high school kids doing that. I, yeah. I loved every second of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to segue into you being a coach in a second, but I want to get – I want to wrap up this journey that you've had in advanced training. So if we go back, Sarno talked – I mean, uh, Trunzo talked about you having like not really done well in challenges. You come in in 2018. You weren't there right in the beginning. We had started in about January. You show up in the spring. You win a challenge to Amorosi on single leg sliders, but then you lose. Then you win a, sorry, then you win a challenge against Trunzo in this prowess shuttle. So you're 2-0. and I'm like, all right, the man is back. But then you lose to Trunzo. You lose to Amorosi. You basically, you're, you're two and two. You're on a losing streak. And at this point, Amorosi seems like he's almost running away with this thing. Then you go on an absolute tear. You win one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in a row. Blow this thing up. Trunzo beats you one time. And then you win it all. You basically take yourself from a, a 50% guy. The years before that, you were like a below a 50% winning percentage, and then you absolutely destroy your competition in this 2018 challenge by winning by more than 18 points to the next closest guys. You had 10 wins. Amorosi had four. It wasn't even a competition at all. This year, it was, it, it was close. Uh, Trunzo edged you out in that last head-to-head, but overall, 
you went from a guy that really struggled in these challenges to being the man. And even in the tough man, you were always kind of like second to this great Ryan Smith. You're right on the cusp, but you didn't beat him. Now you're the, the most, I'll say, feared guy in the program. Is this a good thing for you or a bad thing? Like, did it make you lose your edge? Did it build up your edge? I'm just trying to get inside your head. No, nah, I don't think it makes you lose your edge. I mean, anybody that makes you lose your edge doesn't doesn't know how to handle that type of, I guess, that type of success. You know, and I, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm a, a super ridiculously successful guy that, you know, I have to be able to handle that in every asset of life. No, it's not true at all. But when I'm, when I have the belt in my possession, I know that it's going to take something really, really, really special for someone to take that away from me. You know, and it might be somebody playing uh, – a mind game with me and somebody that's somebody that's gonna you know Jimmy Uske saying you can kick it you can push it you can do whatever you want to, it, <laughs> to a farmer's walk and try to run with it and then I still smoke them by by two seconds you know I, I just know that when I have the belt in my possession I feel stronger than if I don't have the belt in my possession if that makes any sense is it a lot of pressure be, being on that pedestal absolutely not because I don't put myself on that pedestal you know, I, I mean, listen, I expect myself – I there's no point in any challenge and any tough man that I've ever expected myself to lose. Nothing that I expect – nothing that I accept is something that I expect to lose. You know, so I, I always – I come out and I expect to win every single time. And if you don't look at something like that, then you're a loser. That's the bottom line. If you're a winner, you expect to win. If you're a loser, you have a doubt. So I, I really I have no doubts. So when you when you walked into this 2019 Tough Man, you're thinking I'm gonna win. Who do you think is coming in second? Well, I mean you have to think Tronzo just because just because of the the performance that he put out this year, the whole year. And you know it might have been different than that if it was a week ago. You know, I, but I, I personally think that the week off is probably good for his body, just because you know he's what like a 32 year old man, and he's you know he's training. He's doing the same exact workout program that I'm doing right now. And I thought he was I, like 98 years old. I didn't know he was that young. Yeah, but to me, he's old because I'm 24. So, again, for those that are not in the inner workings of what's going on, Joe Trunzo had a uh, a baby, what was it, two two weeks ago? Yeah, it was, two weeks ago, yeah. We, we had to actually reschedule the tough man around the birth of his first child. We were, and it was great because the whole no one was mad at him. It was just beautiful camaraderie amongst the group. Everybody was happy the day he announced that his wife was pregnant. I remember it was a freezing uh, winter morning. Everybody gave him a big hug, yeah. and then they started yelling at each other again about the challenge. But it, it's, just, <laughs> it's awesome that we can be so tight. And I, 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 yeah, I did think he looked better. I don't know. He's a psycho. He probably was training inside the hospital. We know he bought those, uh, those uh, captains of crush, and he was working on his grip strength while his wife was uh, in labor. But yeah, well, I, his big thing this year was he wanted the one off. Uh, one on the um, one on the farmers walk, so and that he did, and that he did. I so so Tronzo biggest competition this year. If you're saying all time, you're going into the the storybooks of advanced training. Who would you think your biggest competition would be all time? So I know I wasn't I wasn't exactly around in the necessary golden age of advanced training, <laughs> where it was you know the Heedles and the Clohessies of the world and the Blancos of the world and yeah, yeah all that. But um, but my era, I mean, listen, Ryan Smith's four-time champion. What am I going to do? That's, uh, he beat me four times, that's for sure. Well, I mean, one of the times, obviously, we talked about I didn't compete because, again, I was 
immature and stupid. But, but yeah, without a doubt, you know, he, he kind of set the standard of what we have to hit. And, you know, it's for something that you set in 2015 for not to be broken to 2019, that must be a pretty good record. Now, if you had a challenge partner, a tag team, is it Ryan Smith? Yeah, probably, to be honest with you. Just because and that's something that, like, you know, we offset each other pretty well, me and Ryan. Whereas in I'm, I'm more of, like, the big guy and, like, you know, I'm pretty good at the speed stuff. But I'm, my main events are I'm going to be pretty good at the prowl push. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be really good at the farmer's walk and stuff like that. Whereas that, or that kid could just, like, flat out fly on sliders. Where he came to a workout this year and it was the first time he probably did sliders in maybe two, three years. And he was cruising. He was way faster than all of us. Right. You know? So I just think – I think we would definitely in a tag team match, we'd take down pretty much anybody. And you guys definitely do a good job of trash talking together. Like, mm-hmm. as, a, as a collective group, you guys are really good at getting inside other people's heads. Yeah, absolutely. H- having like said that, boys, <laughs> who, who would you like to compete against in a tag team? Who would be your toughest challenge of, of a duo all time? All time, huh? Wow. So, I mean, listen, I don't really know these guys, but I'll go straight to the top of the list. I don't really care. I mean, listen, I'd rather – I'd like to go against the – I don't even know who this kid Reyes is. I mean, he must have been pretty sick. He's number one all time. I would have liked to see what he's got on the field, not just in the weight room. I would have liked to see him. I would have liked to see maybe him and Kuyan. That would have been nice. But, I mean, all people that I have personally trained with – I would like to see me and Smith versus a Kuyana and Teddy Klohesi matchup. That would be pretty sick. Yeah. That would be pretty sick. Yeah. So, Those are two in my eyes, two of the two of like the standards that I know from advanced training. And uh, Kuyan is number two all time uh, in power points, and he won. He did win a challenge. He actually beat Ryan Smith in the challenge of head to head bout. So he is a challenge champ. Teddy Colhesi was a three-time Tough Man champion. He's ranked number five. I'm glad that somebody finally brought up uh, Ryan Reyes because Kuyan's power points are a 1.261, which is really impressive. Ryan Reyes' power points are a 1.339. Like, no one is even close to this guy. 41 pull-ups, 495 deadlift, 120.5 broad jump, 375 bench press. He had virtually no weaknesses. He was a big guy who was fast. He came in second on his lone tough man to Eric Heedles, and I'm glad uh, someone finally brought him up. The other person that's hardly been brought up is Mike Morano, who is number three on the all-time list. And uh, I know he was, he was a PowerPoint leader for many, many, many years until Reyes Kuyan showed up. Uh, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for the day that someone picks Morano on this list of people, but it's not, not today. Today's not the day. Hey, man, Coach, I mean, you set it up. We'll, which one? We'll bring it down. I don't care who I go against. That's just that's just how I am. And you don't have the great uh, Frank Torres anywhere in this just for his uh, – the persona oh, that he Frank is. Frank Torres is a hell of a competitor, man. But, like, it's something – if you're going to put me versus Frank Torres in a tough man, I, I think I'd beat him 10 times out of 10. <laughs> hope you hear that, Torres. This up, just started kid. something. He's officially coming out of retirement on that. <laughs> I hope All so, right, man. So, I so I want to get into football a little bit. Mm-hmm. What what made you decide to become a coach? Uh, so I've kind of – I've always really had that desire to coach. 
And I think it was at the point where, you know, I was a, maybe I was a junior in high school, something like that. I mean, I knew I wasn't, I'm a realist. So I knew I wasn't necessarily a division one player. You know, I knew what those kids looked like. I knew what all the race Smith looked like, and I don't look like that. So I knew that that wasn't going to be my future, but I knew that I would never give up the game of football just because of how much that it's actually brought to me. So when I, when I say that, people kind of look at me weird just because of they, they see football as, you know, oh, my God, there's so many concussions. You know, my son can't play football. No way. But in reality, the, there's, there's life lessons that you have that you learn in sports, and then there's life lessons that you learn in football that you can't be taught anywhere else, in my opinion. So, and that, that's, that's a great testament to, to my coaches, Coach Manos, Coach Clark, and obviously you, Coach Mahoney, that have taught me that throughout my life. And that's something that I want to be able to emulate, something that I want to be able to bring to students and my players in the future. And that's exactly why I got into the teaching major too, because I want to be able to share, basically share my experiences and all the great experiences that I had in high school and and that I had in college and that I had in middle school and all my great experiences. I want to be able to share that with my teammates, my players, whoever it may be. Now, has being a high school football coach changed the way that, that you train yourself? Um, so, you know, I saw this question pop up and it's really, it's not all that much. The only thing that I will say is that I have, I have definitely changed the way I train, but it's not necessarily because of, because of coaching. It's more because of my pursuit of being now being a firefighter at the next phase of my life. But from coaching aspect, no, I mean, I just, I've always been trying to get in and out of the gym. You know, that's something I got from you where I want to be in and out of the gym in under an hour. And that's something I still do now. I do listen. I do a, a ton of stuff. I'll do a ton of set, ton of sets, ton of exercises. But I'm in and out in 45 minutes to an hour every time. But I mean, it goes to what you said. You know, I'm I practice what I preach. So if I'm doing something, or if the kids are doing something, then I'm doing something. And that's something. Another thing I got from you, where I remember where you used to get into the gym earlier than everyone else, and you would do the workout before anyone else got a chance to. You know, you would understand how hard it is if I need to adjust something. And there's really no way to do that unless you are the one actually executing the workout. Yeah, and I'm going to go – so there's two transitions here. One was when you're talking about that, I was doing stuff for the college guys and older. So I would get into the gym before the crew went and made sure the workout worked, make sure it wasn't too hard, make sure it wasn't too easy, make sure the flow was right. Uh, So I, I absolutely did that. And I want to get your opinion on this because this is where I struggle with high school kids is there's so many more things that are out there, but we can never get to it with a high school kid. A, because of the volume, you know, now there's 40 kids in the gym versus, the, you know, we had training groups of six and B, because they're just not there yet. So, for example, I hesitate to get them into a like chaos barbell reverse overhead lunge. We'll do it with one arm with a dumbbell. And I'm thinking, man, that there's so much more we could do but they might not be physically mature enough to get there until they're a senior. Or I don't want them to peak when they're 16 and now there's no tricks left in the bag for them to hit once they get to that next level. Is this the type of thing going through your head too, or do you have a completely different viewpoint on it? Well, I don't have necessarily a completely different viewpoint. I do agree with you that, you know, certain ages shouldn't be doing that stuff. I mean, like, obviously I'm not making the incoming freshmen are doing pause squats. You know, they're not doing that. They're doing, 
they will do some overhead stuff. They'll do some overhead reverse lunge and everything like that because that's not necessarily a big strength activity, but it's a core activity. You know, it's something where that's something that needs to strengthen in their body for them to be successful. So I'll do stuff like that, but there obviously is more advanced stuff and that's how it should be. It's just like, it's like anything else in teaching too. You know, you want to, you're going up the ladder as they grow, you grow. And as they, as they grow, their work ethic grows and so on and so forth. Um, but another thing you said is that there shouldn't be any, that there's going to be no tricks in the bag. I don't necessarily agree with that at all, just because there's always something new. And that's, that's how it is in the fitness, in the fitness world, the fitness industry. You no, know, there's always something new that people are discovering people smarter than I am that are learning and they're putting it out there. And it's always going to be, if you're into it and you're, actually legitimately interested in fitness and interested in how your body works, you will go out and research that, whether I'm coaching you or whether I'm not coaching you. So I don't necessarily think that there's no, there's going to be no tricks left in the bag. I'm glad you said that. Cause I feel like now that I do a lot of training uh, without a large crew, most of what I'm doing is self-experimentation. And I just keep thinking to myself, like how much weirder, can I make this? And I'm not being weird for the sake of being weird. It's just a, it's a, a boredom. B, is there some holy grail out there that will correct a muscular imbalance or some sort, or do some sort of prehab? And I think that is part of it for me is this experimentation. You're right. I haven't lost out yet. There's constantly new stuff in the bag. At the same time, I try and balance it with, hey, the basics are pretty good. Like deadlift, bench, squat. Those are pretty good exercises. If you just oh, did those, did you're, you're pretty good. I do around those exercises. That's, that's how I make my programs now. And, you know, it's, that's something where I, I derive I derive a lot of my workout programs from the, um, from the websites from uh, T Nation. So I, what their big thing is on every article is that they're going to work out and they're going to make their programs based off the four big lifts. And in their opinion, it's bench, squat, deadlift and um shoulder press i don't necessarily agree with the shoulder press one but i do agree with the first three and one of the things that you and i had butted heads on a lot and uh and the great ryan smith too was me being too soft in the workouts like you guys always wanted to feel like you were dead when you walked out of the gym mm -hmm. has, has your opinion changed uh yes so I, obviously as the the more i've grown and the more i've actually gotten into into fitness and I, I'm so for the background, I'm a physical education teacher. So I used to have to take classes for about anatomy and physiology about the body and stuff like that. So I learned a little bit about why it's more important for you to be fresh the next day, as opposed to dead the day before. And that's something that I, when I trained, cause I trained, like I trained my sister, you know, I trained her friend, whoever asked me for help really. And it's something that I, I try to tell them, I try to tell them like, listen, you know, you're watching Instagram videos and all this stuff of all these people that are doing all the sled pushes in the world and all that stuff, all these famous people. And they're saying, oh my gosh, I'm so sore, but that's not necessarily the right thing to be saying. You know, it's more about how you feel the next day. So that's, I guess, I guess that's something that I grew up into, but at the same time, when I work out, I, I, I push myself against my own mental barrier every time. That's my goal. My goal is to push myself a little bit farther than I did the day before. And that's the way I make my workout program. To the point where, yes, I'm done in 45 minutes, 
But at the end of those 45 minutes, I'm definitely shocked. I'm definitely – I'm sweating. I did no cardio. My cardio is the work itself. The only cardio I'll do is the practice for my actual fire department, medical and fire department, CPAT exams when I was doing that. So for me, for my personal benefit, I guess you could say that I, I just – I like the way I feel after it. I like the way I feel. I like the way that I feel when my heart is the one that's pumping just as much as my muscles are. But at the, at the same time, although my heart's pumping, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to get terribly sore the next day just because of the work that I, the specific work that I do. Right. So I guess that's where I've changed a little bit. And, and so for me, and I, I know this was always like constantly like a, a struggle because look, we're dealing with, I, I'm going to say elite athletes, if not physically, mentally, you know, maybe some guys' bodies aren't that of an NFL football player, but your mind is in the same spot in terms of trying to compete at the highest level. So I was getting into behavioral science a lot to try and figure out how do I get inside these guys' minds? And something that I've learned was your brain, you remember stuff in in two basic occasions. One is the peak, the highest of the high and the lowest of the low. And the second thing is the last thing that happened. So most people's memories are awful. So they remember the highest of the highs, the lowest of the low, and the last thing that happened. So what I started doing was making the workout. You know, For me, a workout is basically practice. You're, you're working on your technique for lifts. And then the finisher was the hard thing. All right, how many uh, pull-ups can I get in two minutes? You know, how, how many push-ups can I get in a minute? Whatever. But now you leave the gym, and the last thing is your head. In your head is that hard finisher. And now you feel like you had this killer workout when most of the time you might have been working on technique, you know, strength, little things like that. But you walk out of the gym remembering that last thing. And that, that seems to be the most effective thing, at least in the guys that I've trained. Yeah, I would have to, I would have to agree with you on that just because that's – I mean, I, I still base my programs around that too. You know, we always used to do it. You always used to start with an overhead. I don't necessarily start with an overhead anymore. But I – so I start with my big lift. So I'll start with – say I'm doing back squat that day. I'll do – I do a push-pull split. So my push, my push will be back squat. After I'm done back squat, I'll do another lower body push, and then I'll get to an upper body push, another upper body push, and then I'll finish with an actual, actually a burnout of a pull exercise. So it'll be, it can be an inverted rows, two sets for max reps. It'll be, you know, weighted chin ups, two sets for max reps, stuff like that. Remembering him, uh, used to be pretty good at inverted rows. I was okay. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, thinking you might have been one of the few guys. You and Alberino were one of the few guys that could actually beat me in inverter, in inverted rows. Yeah. Yeah, we used to do the cool ones, though. We used to do it with the one ring. I'm not exactly – I'm a little limited at the YMCA on that. Yes. So, that, and that, I think about that. You know, at, at the high school I'm coaching at, we do inverted rows with a barbell. We do them with our legs elevated. But I don't have 10 sets of rings. But that's something that I do in my own training. So, you know, one one hand, two hands, one leg, you know, two legs, whatever. It's another one of those things. Well, man, like sometimes the, there is a, a constraint of the equipment and sometimes it's a constraint of the kids. And it's, I know, like, man, there's so much more we can do. It's, it's that internal yeah, absolutely. battle. I, I'm the same way with, uh, with bands in my, in my situation. You know, I'd love to do – I think power folds are great. I think they're possibly one of – I think between power holds and bands – I mean, power folds and planks, rather. Single arm planks, I feel, are, if you do those two things and you eat the right way, there's no reason why you should not have a six-pack while you're doing the big lift. There's absolutely no reason if you do those things correctly. 
You got that, Pete Amorosi? <laughs> he's pretty good at uh, all of those power holes. So I, yeah, I got That's why he's got a good core. And now that uh, now that you're a trainer and looking back, what's the worst training advice you ever gave somebody? The worst training advice I ever gave somebody. I mean, I listen. I I was I was pretty pretty dumb back then. You know, I, I mean, I used to. But I've also I've also been training. You know, my with my friends because I've always thought that I more than them because I've been working out since I was in like the eighth grade. Um, I, I think I I'm pretty sure I told somebody I used to train with one time was when you're doing a back squat, it actually doesn't matter how much weight is on the bar. It just matters about how low you get. And that's something that I actually, now it's hysterical looking back because I've had so much problems of getting depth in my back squat to the point where I was used to putting on two, three plates at a time. But I had to, we were back to, there was one point where I was squatting, I think like a plate and a half with you. And I couldn't even get remotely good depth. So, so let's tell this story because uh, it is an important one. Because, you know, you, right now you are the, on the king. You're the king of the hill, the most feared guy in advanced training. I had coached you as this dominant outside linebacker who I thought was pretty athletic uh, to the point that we had put you at free safety. You're still mad at me about that. We'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, I also remember sucks. once you had gotten knocked over in a game against Stepanek. And you did like some sort of backflip to get up, and, and me and Coach Clark were like, "Oh my god! Like this is this is a rare breed of kid." You come into advanced training. We're doing day one bodyweight squats, and I, I wrote a great uh, blog about this called "The Evolution of the Squat." And I said I felt like Jim Carrey yeah. when he walked in the room with a bunch of dead animal heads on the wall. So your squat was absolutely horrific, and we took it back to the mm-hmm. bare basics. I think we were lower. We started off body weight for weeks trying to just get your butt to touch the wall. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that – and then you now, obviously, you've completely transitioned from that point. But for a guy as strong as you, I have to assume that was a humbling event where everybody else is back squatting and you're there doing air for at least three to four weeks. Oh, that was absolutely miserable because especially because at, you know, when I was lifting in high school and stuff like that, I didn't realize that my form was so terrible. You know, I didn't know better. I just knew, you know, I knew which one, bring yourself as low as you can without using the phrase that everybody knows. (laughs) Thank you you for keeping this PG. There would have been a lot of editing on this thing. (laughs) Exactly. I just knew that that's all that mattered. You know, just get low, get as low as you can, 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 you know? And, you know, my senior year of high school, I kind of, I, I wasn't too great at it. And I realized that, I mean, I used to, I actually missed a couple days because of driver's ed, which is some, some, obviously some 17 year old problems that you're going to face as a high school kid. And, you know, I, I, I mean, it really, it backfired on me big time because by the time I got to college, I wasn't able to, you know, squat with the guys that were able to, to squat massive weight. But then you put on a deadlift bar and I was deadlifting with the strongest guys there. I mean, it made no sense. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. or perfect sense. Depending on how you're looking at it. You know, and, I, and like I think with you, it was we figured out very quickly, all right, this is an ankle mobility issue. It's not – it wasn't your hips. Your hips were pretty good. That's why you can hit people so hard. It was ankle mobility. And to be very fair, when you were originally losing some challenges – the weakness that Smith always gave you a hard time was like, ah, you're not as fast as me. But then in the middle of last year, 
you got fast. And, and I think that's where everything started to click. And I think a lot of it has to do with your ankle mobility because now your foot can strike the ground uh, without waste, without it veering off to the side. And you were getting so much force on each one of those steps. I, I mean, I can see that. I mean, I, I mean, I credit my kind of, I guess, my transition over the past year and a half or whatever it may be, just based off my my mindset alone, you know, because I, I kind of, the way I go into the gym and the way I go into onto the field now is that I have to, uh, there's, there's that 60, 40 barrier where, you know, your body can, your mind only thinks you can have 40% and then you still have another 60 left in the tank or it might be vice versa. I, I try to access that. I try to access that all hundred percent. That's my goal. So let's, but you might say ankle mobility. And I'm <laughs> Well, I think it's a little bit of both, right? I think it's, a, you know, w- mm-hmm. with that mind, it, it overcomes matter to an extent, but you need the will to be able to execute the movement. But then if, like, you've got one foot on the gas and another foot on the brake, even though the foot's all the way on the gas, mm-hmm. you might not be going. I think by yeah. fixing your ankle mobility issues, you, you took that foot off the brake, and now it's, boom, mm-hmm. you're, you're heading, you're going. But I want to get back into your mind for a second because people say that the hardest thing in the world is hitting a baseball. Uh, I believe the hardest thing in the world is routinely, repeatedly getting underneath the kickout block against power. And I've coached a lot of great outside linebackers, but and and Coach Hench, the the master of the double wing, he will admit this as well because I remember we did an inner squad scrimmage and he would not run power to your side, and I was really angry with him afterwards. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Like, I I wanted to compete best against best, and he said, "I'm not stupid. Like, I'm not running it at Joe Sarno." You absolutely killed it in your senior year. What what was going through your head? And we just before I get there, so people understand what we're talking about. Double wing offense, no splits on the offensive line. Fullback crept right behind the quarterback. Uh, the tight end, in many cases, will down block, and now they're kicking out the last man on the line of scrimmage. I'm not giving all the details away because I don't want to ruin it for everybody, but uh, <laughs> it's it's a devastating hit. We've seen kids – Guys that went to the NFL, I've watched them walk off the field and quit. They quit. I won't say the school. I won't want to say names, but we've seen it happen repeatedly. Joe Sarno in practice, it was to the point that the offense couldn't run that play to their right. Joe was our left outside linebacker. They just gave up on it. They gave up on the play. And unfortunately, their other alternative was to go left. And there was a slippery galley there who was also a great outside linebacker. But you put a hurting on whatever fullback would come. What was going through your head? Uh, so, listen, man, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me for the four years, then shame on me. You know? That's terrible. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I've seen that offense for, you know, four years. I knew how to handle it. I did it. I, you know, I've hit it the same exact way. I never actually knew the term was wrong on until I came up to varsity as a sophomore. So, I was midway through my sophomore year. I had no idea what it was. I was just kind of doing it anyway. But... Before I went up to varsity, my goal was to just – and it was the way that, you know, my brother told me how to play football was that if somebody's going to come out and try to hit you, you got to hit them harder. Because if, if you're not, then guess what? You're the one on your back and they're not. So my, my whole goal throughout getting up to the varsity level was that. And then I actually learned how and learned, you know, which shoulder to hit with and, you know, to attack half the man and stuff like that. But – so my senior year at camp, exactly the, the time period you're talking about, is it's funny because, you know, we brought up 
we had a junior fullback, you know, the kid Bobby Albert, yep. you know, you know, and he, you know, he played with me. He was a freshman on JV. And, you know, I always kind of, I wasn't a freshman on JV. I was a freshman on, on the freshman level. You know, I had to play the freshman level while, you know, guys like Nick King, guys like some of my best friends at the time, my best friends, Teddy Mazzola, who didn't even, you know, who had to come back and play football. You know, he didn't play for all four years. And guys like, like one of my best friends, Anthony Spano, that something happened, but he couldn't, he was going to be on the JV program as, as a freshman, you know? So I always kind of looked at those guys and I always kind of, I guess, had a, had a grudge against them because in my mind, that's what the coaches saw. The coaches saw that they were better than me. Not that I was necessarily under my body wasn't developed enough to play at the JV level, which is probably the way I should have looked at it, but because they were better than me. So Bobby Alvarino comes up to varsity. He's starting as a junior between him and Frank Calcutta. You know, they're splitting the reps. And then one thing leads to another. Bobby's the guy that's in front of me every time. When I tell you, Coach, my sole goal was that if Bobby Alvarino is going to start this year at fullback for my football team, for my senior year, I need to make this camp as miserable as I humanly can for this human being. I need to make him wish that he actually never played football. <laughs> because if I don't do that, then I'm doing a disservice to my team. That I'm actually hurting my chances of being on one of the best teams that C's ever had. So every day in camp, he used to come try to kick me out. And I used to put everything I humanly had into him every single time. Every single time, every single time, every single time. The hair is standing up on the back of my neck right now. A, because I love Mm -hmm. what you're saying. And B, because I remember the intensity that you brought to every one of these kickout blocks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's that's something that's – that was just the environment of C back then. That's how it was. You know, if – when I was – again, like when I was a sophomore and I was – I would practice up at varsity here and there and stuff like that. You know, I got guys like Joe Martell who's, you know, like a lunatic. So he would run around. He'd be just knocking people out left and right. And it, it kind of set a standard of what I knew that I had to do when I got to that level, when I got to a senior, when I got to a junior, stuff like that, when I became that leadership figure for the team. So when I was, when I was a senior, we used to do it. And I don't know if you remember. I, I'm sure you do, actually. The offense didn't gain a first down until maybe like, Four or five days in. Yes, it set the they tone. Actually, didn't gain, didn't gain a first down in the set the tone period, which is for those of you that don't know, it was four downs. You got ten yards, you get there. And with the old St. Joseph's C offense, and which is the now um, a variation of St. Peter's offense, it's pretty hard not to get that. You know, if you're if everything's getting blocked up the right way, it's it's pretty hard not to get that. To have to get three yards a clip. At yeah, and you're getting four downs. There's no like fear of punting or being backed up. You're just starting first and ten mm-hmm. from nowhere. <laughs> you know, especially at camp, there's no real field. You're just stuck in the middle of, of the woods where we were. It wasn't like you knew you were on the ten yard line. You could be anywhere. So th- th- you got four downs, and it's almost impossible to stop. Yeah, and especially at that time in my life, I was. I mean, I, I still am. I'm still. Cl- I'm still really close with Nick King. You know, I see Tom Galley whenever I can. And I really, it's, it's a sad thing on my part. It's, 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 uh, it's my own fault that I haven't reached out as much as I should, but to Anthony Benthree, my other linebacker mate, because the four of us at that point, we were tight as could be. 
So we said to each other, we said, there is absolutely no way that we are letting as four senior linebackers on this field, there's absolutely no way that we are letting a junior backfield or anyone for that matter, that's going to get a first down on us during this camp. There's no way. And the one time they actually did get a camp, I don't know if you remember what happened, but there was a gigantic brawl. Yes. The entire, the entire team was going at it. It was, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess because we all lost it. You know, we all said, we were like, wow, we failed. This is unreal. And we just, we flipped out. And sometimes, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent in that times got to get ugly for times to get, be- times have to get better. So stuff like that at camp at the high school level, that kind of brings you together as a team. And, you know, I'm, I'm probably thinking about that and I don't really care about it too much, but sometimes you need somebody that's going to, you know, stand up for what he believes in and is, you know, is going to punch somebody in the mouth at the end of the day. Because so, so two things when about that. look at it and they look back, it's like, they, you know, they, they ultimately are going to respect it. I'm sorry. Two, two things about that. One, uh, that first down was 100% on me. So I, I was always thinking about the big picture even back then. But I, as a defensive coordinator, I was thinking about the big picture of the team. So I, I was like, ah, the offense's morale is down. We need these guys. So we pulled a couple guys out of that drill. So we, we kind of gave them a little bit of a leg up in that last. And Coach Hench will probably kill me for even me saying this on air if he ever actually listens to this thing. Because I know he wouldn't do that to me. He would just put his foot in my throat and watch me die. But I, I wanted the offense to have some morale. And I do remember there was that brawl. Uh, I remember you calling some running back. I won't say his name. Uh, you know, he said, I'm not going to let some child give me a cheap shot. And then I remember we had a defensive meeting in that little theater at, uh, what was the name of that camp? Tyler Hill. Yeah, uh, and it was. Was a, it was a very good, I'm not promoting fighting, by the way. I'm just saying it was a good bonding experience of the conversation of, I'm not going to let some child give me a cheap shot after the play. And, and basically this mindset of, we're not going to let this happen. And for the most part, that whole season, you guys didn't let it happen. It was it was a sick defense, a completely sick defense. S- you know, stuffing it to a great school like Stepanek two times in the same year, that's unbelievable. Yeah, no, I I mean that's obviously that's something that I take a lot of pride in, just being a part of that defense. And you know, I mean, even being being called a leader of that defense, it, it was, you know, it's kind of like surreal to me, just because of how hard we all worked. I mean, I don't really think that there's any really clear leader in a team like that and a defense like that, because everyone held each other accountable. And that was what made us great. You know, we, I, I had no problem looking to the guy next to me, looking to King and being like, you know, that's on you. Like you didn't hit that hole. That's on you. You need to be better than that. You know, I, Brendan Spears didn't have, didn't have a problem turning around to me and saying, you know, I kicked it out to you. Where were you? You know, we held each other accountable. We, we didn't necessarily point fingers, but, we held each other accountable. And the, I think the beauty of it was is that, A, that, that was a team that was strong. Like you, you guys lifted together. And, and usually a team that lifts yeah. together, that's, that's like 90% of the equation because you build up that bond. B, you all Ooh. did know where you had to be. So you're right. King, uh, sorry, Spears knew that if he was getting the kickout block and spilling it to you that you were supposed to be there because we repped it so many times. That guy, They did Absolutely. hold each other accountable over. So do you find that? With kids today, are they willing to step up and hold their brother accountable, or are they taking the back seat? So, so that's something that I actually I have a big uh, that's a that's a battle for me. You know, that's that's a battle for me. You know, I want I want my kids to 
take someone by the face mask, you know, like get in someone's face. And it has doesn't have to be, you know, like cussing them out or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be any of that. It just has to be, you know, I I know what you have to do and you're not doing it for whatever reason. So you need to be better. And that's something that it, it's hard for a high school kid right now to grasp that fact. And it, it goes with the culture, you know, it goes the way that society is. It goes the way that football's becoming. And it's becoming harder and harder as a coach to instill that type of mindset in the kid. And, and we, I'll attribute, you know, your senior year, we never had a bad defensive practice because you wouldn't let it happen. Like, it, it wasn't an option for that to happen. You, and then you had a good group of guys around you that you, you were able to lean on. It didn't have to always be Joe Sarno, but you were that leader, and you wouldn't let it happen. And as a coach, that makes your life so much easier when you got a, a leader on the team, a captain on the team that everybody follows their lead. Now I could just worry about X's and O's. I don't have to worry about getting the team pumped up. It's, it's already done. Boom. Sarno took care of it. All right, let's go to the next rep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that, like, I, I've kind of, I guess, you know, I've watched enough high school football movies to probably put somebody to sleep. You know, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I've always, I've always wanted to be that leader more. I've always wanted to be a better leader than I was a player because I've always wanted somebody to look at me and say, okay, I got, that's what I have to do. That's it. Not necessarily look at me and say, wow, I wish I could do that. You know, like that's, that's a great thing and awesome if you could do it. But again, I knew that that necessarily wasn't my future. I knew that I had, I, I had an ability where people thankfully wanted to, they, they listened to what I said and they wanted to follow me if I was doing the right thing. So that's why I always tried to make sure I was doing that. I was always trying to make sure I was doing the right thing. And something that you don't know because you weren't actually part of the school at the time. You were in poly prep. But after, I think it was our, uh, might have been my sophomore year or my freshman year. We were going into my first game. My first game or whatever. might have been my sophomore year. And I remember it was me, Nick Rice, and two other captains. And we literally were walking back from practice, and we said, we're like, this was terrible. Like, that was a really bad practice. I can't believe it even happened. And we walk into the locker room. At that point, the locker room was basically a glorified garage. We closed the door, closed the door, turned the lights on, and we let every one of our teammates absolutely have it to the point where I threw one of my best friends at the time against the locker. Because he said something, I threw him against the locker, grabbed him by both shoulders, and told him to get out of my, get off my team, and get out of my face. <laughs> it was, that's something. That's a that's a new story. Uh, yeah, for you. I'd like to hear about who that was uh, off the air. And and I'll say this: yeah, all, when yeah. you guys graduated, that that linebacker core, I remember texting you as you were heading off to college. Like, man, I'm I'm a little nervous. We have no returning linebackers. And I don't know if you remember this, but this is stuck in my head to that point. And it's actually a slogan that we have now. You said, uh, don't worry, you manufacture linebackers at St. Joseph by the Sea. And I was thinking, you know what? Mm-hmm. This, is, this is brilliant, man. Like, if we do work on those drills. We do work on all those little things to take guys from nothing to something. And it's been a, a mantra in my head of now manufacture football players. We're not going after the best talent. We're going after kids that want to get better. And we will, we will do our best to make you a football player, regardless of how tall you are, how fast you are, how much you weigh. You know, you'll take care of that in the gym, but on the football field, we're gonna make, we're gonna manufacture football players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's no secret formula. You know, it's nothing. There's no secret formula that's gonna make you into, you know, a Nick King. There's no secret formula that's gonna make you into, 
whoever you want to say, you know, Ray Lewis. It's just not, you know, some people are going to come out and, you know, you're going to say, wow, like that kid's, you know, he's got a gift. He's got a, he's got an instinct. Or there's going to be other kids that, you know, you have to make that instinct and you have to, you have to put all the tools in his toolbox and hope that he's able to use it. And that's what I always felt that we did a really great job of at C at the time was doing that. And that's something that I, as a coach at Tottenville, want to, you know, keep to bring to my linebackers now. I want to give them every tool that they possibly can so that when the time comes, there's no excuse. You know, you know how to do this. You, we've drilled on how to hit. You know, we've drilled how to tackle. We've drilled where to hit the per- where to hit the guy on the body. You know, it's, it's, I just want to give them every single tool that they possibly can so that when they get to the point, that there's no absolutely no yeah and and i love what you're saying for me i again back to behavioral science it's like we're gonna make this a habit you're not even gonna think about it on game day it's just gonna happen uh someone walks in front of you in the supermarket you're you're gonna same arm same leg or you're gonna pop and rip based on where they are just because it's what you do i I posted this on uh, instagram a while ago it was about john randall the hall of fame defensive tackle for the minnesota vikings they said that he'd be doing swim techniques to everybody like he'd do it to his mom, he'd do it in the in the chow hall. He couldn't stop, but he'd also just transferred right over to the field because he did it all the time, which is exactly what you're talking about. Like with your kids, there's no excuse why you shouldn't do it because we've now made it a habit. There's no thinking, mm-hmm. just go do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to transition back to advanced training. We're making this kind of like a, a Quentin Tarantino movie. So we started at the end, right. went back to the beginning, uh, we went to your, the birth of Joe Sarno in the hospital. Now we're going to go back to advanced training. When you think about success at advanced training, who comes to your mind? When I think about success, um, <clears throat> so I mean, what I think of just success is that I, I also think of dominance. You know, I don't think of it as a necessarily a success story or anything like that. I, I just think of it as pure dominance. And I, you know, people are going to think I'm biased because I'm also best friends with the kid, but I, I, I can't, in my tenure, I haven't seen anyone dominate the competition like, Ryan Smith did when he was there. You know, you win it four years in a row, that goes to say something. And that's someone that, at the young age, that when I was immature, he wasn't missing lifts. <laughs> so he had, he had a time where he wasn't going to, you know, he would do the same things that I did. You know, he'd go out, he'd have fun, blah, 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 all that stuff. But he would never miss a lift. And he'd always be there every single time, be there on time. And if he wasn't and I was there, oh my God. I'd absolutely let him have it because that was such a rare sighting, you know? So my biggest success is not a success story. It's just pure domination. And that's why I run. And, you know, I was talking to Joe Moresco about it this morning. I was saying, if I had to define my entire 20 years of coaching in one word, like what would I feel about kids? It's just disappointment. And I said, every, every kid who I've ever coached on a football field or in a gym has not 100% of the time shown up. And I said, right, except for one, Ryan Smith. That kid, he never missed. I remember once he came back from Atlantic City from a Kanye West concert. He was like, I might not make it on time. And he showed up at Bloomingdale Park for a 5.15 run. I'm not necessarily sure it's a Kanye West concert. <laughs> I, I, I'm almost certain of it. We'll have to check the records. I know he's a big a, a country western <laughs> guy. But I remember being like, Kanye West? And I, I think, who knows? Given this kid's history, he might have dropped somebody off there and came back. But uh, I, I definitely agree that he has quite the tenure at advanced training. I would love to get him on a podcast. He said, uh, not yet. That was his answer to me. Not yet. 
So, yeah, we've got stuff going on coaching wise. Where I don't know if he's necessarily allowed yeah. to. He's uh, coaching college football now. He's out of state, but we're going to make this magic happen at some point. Uh, an off the wall question: What Game of Thrones character best represents you in advanced training? So I, I, got, I knew that you were going to ask this, and I came prepared for this one. Um, the, so this is something that I, I took, and I kind of it took a while for me to really get it, just because. What am I going to say? Am I going to say I'm the mountain? No, I'm not. I'm not. Because uh, I'm not the mountain. I am, I, you know, I've, I've been defeated. I've been defeated a lot of times and a lot more times than he has. In the show. You know, I, I'm not necessarily the hound because I didn't start off as the best and I didn't fizzle out. I'm kind of hitting my stride now. And I, people might laugh, but I think the best character that actually describes me is actually Arya Stark. Wow. I would have because. never, ever, ever guessed you would have said that. Because the reason why I'm saying that is because if you remember at the at the beginning, you know, Ari was just she was just a little girl. She didn't know anything, but she was willing to learn. You know, she always yeah. she always kinda had that dog in her and she always was willing to, you know, get better. She was gonna train with whoever was going to train her, whether it be the hound when she was with Sergio, whether it was Brienne, whether it be Sergio Tyrell, you know, I mean Sergio Pharrell. It it was it was always serial for I'm sorry, I'm making so many bad references. But he, she always got to the point where she was wanting to train. You know, she, there was never a point where she didn't want to learn, whether whoever it came by. And that's why it made her, you know, probably one of the best characters in the entire show. I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody that hasn't watched it, but, you know, she does the big thing at the end. Yeah, if you haven't watched it, come on. I think the show's been over for a few months now. Get binge watch, but I believe that that is a brilliant analogy because she had the mind. She was very, I'll say, stubborn in her methods of brute force, and people had to pull it out of her. And then she went from a brute force type warrior to a skilled warrior, and I, I could see that in you because it was always with you when I was training. More weight, harder workouts, but now you've mastered the the technique. And it has really put you at the, the top of your game. So that, that's a pretty – that's a great analogy. I would have never guessed you said it, but now that you said it, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant know, I'm stuff. To, I'm trying to take things out of left field, you know. <laughs> if, and who – I got to ask, uh, with Trunzo being Trunzo, who would you say he is in Game of Thrones? Trunzo? Yes. I don't, I don't really care, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I, so I would say that – though I would say – I would say that Trunzo is more of a uh, – more of a – Peter Dinklage, more of a Tyrion type of guy, just because he will do, but he will play the mind game. So he will play a little bit of both. Like, I wouldn't consider him a Varys necessarily. Like, I consider a Jimmy Yu a Varys, where he was hurt all year, but, you know, he's still he's still involved. You know, he, he's he's still that little whisper every single time in the advanced training. Right. Yeah, he throws it in at, right, at the exact right moments, too. Exactly. So so two more questions, then we'll wrap this up. The, the second the, – the first question is – what is advanced training the answer to in your life? Like, why do you do this? You don't need to do it. You know how to train. You, you're training kids. What, what's your point of doing what we do? Because I know that nobody else does. And I know that nobody else wants to because I've asked people. You know, I, the one person that's actually done it, more testament to him, is John Goldman. The one person, uh, you know, he's the one person in, out of my friend group. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, I, I know a couple people that are around my time with the fire department. And we were doing the physical training. It, it's basically a course where 
You know, I'm pulling a hose. It's like I'm sitting on a box. It's like I'm sitting on a bucket pulling a chain. You know, it's it's a lot of stuff that correlates directly into what we do. And I know that nobody else wants to do that. And the way my mindset is, is that I need to be able to look someone in the eye and say that, you know, I not necessarily I'm better than you, but that I know what I did over the last so-and-so months or what I, I know that what I did this morning even is something that you wouldn't even dream of doing. You wouldn't even think about it. So right. that's the way, that's the way that my mind works in advanced training is because, you know, it is, it's, it's only once a week now because we have all have other obligations and whatnot, but it we're still, we're still there and we're still competing. You know, where we're at five we're wired, you know, right. We're wired. We're ready to go. You know, I'm, I'm getting on guys with Detroit. I'm cursing out Moresco for missing a slider. You know, I'm, I'm going insane. Trunzo's going nuts. It's making ridiculous WD conferences. You know, Goldman, same <laughs> thing. It, it's just, it's a different element. And it's something that a lot of other people don't have in their life. And I think if they did have it in their life, they'd be a lot different people. You know, it's a great point that I really haven't thought of. We show up at 5.15, some guys earlier, and nobody's like, I'm tired or, oh, my God, I'm not looking. Like, people come out of their cars ready to go. Like, like their hair is on fire. I, I, I don't know why I haven't thought of that, but it is the, the damn truth. Because you know why? Because if you don't, that's how you get eaten. You know, it's a talky-talk world. And if you're not ready to go, then guess what? You're gone. You're done. I love it. I love it, man. All right, I'm going to finish with my last selfish question that I ask everyone. So what is one thing uh, you've done to simplify or remove clutter in your life? And it doesn't have to be in lifting. It could be anything. Simplify or remove clutter. So I've actually, I've actually toned down my training a lot just because of lack of time. Cause I, cause during the, during the fall, you know, in the summer, it's great. I have, I have my job at big apple games with Tottenville and stuff. And I love it. It's awesome. And I, I really, I try to lean back on working during the summer. I try to take it all in and let my body rest a little bit. But during the fall, I actually work, you know, Monday to Thursday, I'm working from basically 7.30 a.m. And I'm not done working until 11.30 p.m. So I'm, I guess I need, I need time. You know, I need time to figure out when I'm going to lift, you know, when I'm going to, when I'm going to get my meals in and stuff like that. So one thing that I do is I'll actually, like I said before, I'm in and out of the gym in 45 minutes, but for my own little health benefit is I actually don't drink coffee in the morning. So I don't, I refuse to do it at a certain point and at a certain point in the year, I'll give it up just so I make sure that my body is still sensitive to giving it up in my own sick mind. I don't know if that's scientifically proven or not, but I'll refuse to drink coffee up until a certain point. So from maybe let's say March to September, I won't touch a sip of coffee because I feel like in my head, it's giving me a, actually a more of a mental edge than somebody that is drinking coffee. That's how kind of twisted my head works. So I, I take one thing I do to simplify my training, I guess you'd say, is that I take my mindset everywhere I go. I don't take it just in the gym. I don't take it just on the field. I'll take it everywhere I single go. And that's just one example of how I do that. So boys and girls, this is a just if you're going against Joe Sarno, realize that this man is he drinks coffee he's intentionally not drinking coffee to get an edge on you 
And then I guess you want to be able to have that coffee in those 7.30 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. nights, but you're training yourself to not have to need it for the rest of the year. Exactly. And I'll, listen, I'll cut myself off during that. I mean, maybe I'll start, like, give me September, October, maybe the beginning of the school year, where I really got to kind of get going, get myself back into it. But, I mean, after that, I, I cut it off completely. I mean, this year, this year I'll tell you exactly when I cut it off. I cut it off as soon as I lost – the um the forward to backward slider challenge to Jim Yuske. As soon as I lost that, I literally I walk into my building at school and keep in mind I'm an elementary school physical education teacher with I am the only male in the school, aside from the custodians. And I'm walking in like a lunatic, an absolute lunatic, because I lost a twenty five yard, thirty yard slider shuttle to Jim Uske and I literally said I was like that's it I was like I'm cutting it off right now I'm out everything bad I can do in my life that's it May 16th 2019 Jimmy Uske 15 yard slider here. forward to backward yep haven't had really coffee since maybe once here and there but not, not really not consistently so uh if you're out there and you're about to eat a Twinkie or you're going out tonight and you want a little Tito's at the bar uh Joe Sarno is not drinking coffee. Just remember that as you're putting that cup to your lips. <laughs> All right, man. Great place to wrap up. Awesome, awesome podcast. I, man, I, I, I love to hear what you're saying. I, you're an awesome coach. You're a great leader, man. I'm happy for the kids that you're training. They're very, very lucky. So good luck to you, and I will see you very, very soon, Mr. Sarno. Thank you very much, Coach. You know that means awesome. That means a lot, a lot coming from you. Uh, this is great. Yeah, and you know my request, my secret request to you. Let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Great, right. great podcast. All right. Take care.